Praise the Lord. So good to, to be here. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for Alex and Cassie and Pat and uh, everybody that has served tonight. Uh, thank you to the setup team that set up the chairs you're sitting on. Let's not forget about the guys that came out here when it was 90 degrees today and set up the tables and the chairs. Thank you for those that put out the coffee and the drinks, the musicians, the sound people, everything that's going on all at once to make sure that we have an enjoyable night. I'm going to try. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're going to try to get done quick here tonight, okay, folks? I know I've been saying that for about three years now, but one, one of these times is going to be true. If you could, if you could open up uh, your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 32, if you could, we're going to go to the Old Testament a little bit tonight. Um, before that, while you're turning there, I just want to uh, explain something, because there's been a lot of, a lot of communication uh, about different things that we're doing as far as the backpack giveaway and Project Reach and the 5K walk, and we've all heard a lot of stuff, but I just want to bring some clarity to what Project Reach is. Um, Early 2020, before the world went upside down. Do you remember that? Remember that world? Remember life? February, January 2020, we were all like talking about 2020 vision and having the great plans for the year. And this was the year of vision and it was the year of all these wonderful things until March 20th when we were all locked in our house for, uh, well, some of the country weeks we in here in New York City was much longer than that. Uh, but I received a call early in 2020 from... Uh, the president of Teen Challenge USA, for those of you that are not aware, Teen Challenge has two, over 240 centers in the United States. Uh, and we do have uh, an office in Missouri that is actually where uh, they call it the national office where Teen Challenge USA exists. And one of the things uh, with uh, uh, the, the president that has been in place, Gary Blackard, uh, for now for uh, a few years, one of the things that he wanted to do when he came into uh, into his, his position was he he wanted to give Teen Challenge a dose of old time old school evangelism. One of the ways that Teen Challenge was birthed and one of the things that was very prominent in the early days was they would do a lot of things in the community, a lot of evangelism, a lot of going out in the streets. And one of the things over the years as we've uh, we've become more sophisticated and we've become more uh, more dealing with drug and alcohol addiction than necessarily gangs. And even the house in, in Brooklyn originally was used for staff to go out and do outreaches. The house where the men uh, reside in Brooklyn was originally bought not really to have a drug and alcohol program. It was bought for people to come in from around the nation so that they could do outreaches in New York City. Am I right, Pastor Charles? That was the original, in fact, the original incorporated name of Teen Challenge, which is now Teen Challenge, Inc., was Teen Evangelism. Am I right, Pastor Charles? That is right. You're saying, why am I asking Pastor Charles? Because he's the oldest one here. No, no, no. <laughs> no, why am I asking Pastor Charles that? Because he worked alongside the leadership uh, and the uh, David Wilkerson and Don Wilkerson longer than than any of us, so that's why uh, I was getting affirmation from him. So the purpose of, of Brooklyn Teen Challenge always was outreach and evangelism. And I received a call from Gary Blackard, who's the president. He said, listen, 
I want to start a new initiative, and I want to call it Project Reach. And I want to get all of the centers around the country, or as many as possible around the country, to begin to do things over the summer together unified. So I was put on about a 15-person cohort from directors and leaders around the nation in Canada where we began to develop different ideas and different ways where we can do these outreaches and, and touch the community. And how many people know that people don't care what you know until they know that you care? And the best way to get the attention of people and teach them about the love of God is to show them the love of God. So we find practical ways to do things by meeting the needs of the community. We know we do food drives, and we, uh, we have a food pantry, which happens to be one of the largest in all of New York City and Brooklyn that we're still running. Uh, when our center's up and running, we have, a, uh, we have a soup kitchen. So we find ways to reach out to the community and to serve people, because how many people know that Jesus himself said, come to be served, but he came to serve. So the heart of our ministry is to serve. And Project Reach is a national initiative that where all of the teen challenge around the, around the country and Canada between August 1st and October 30th will be doing various outreaches, things to unify us. And we developed a bunch of different things. Cafe Hope is one of the things that nationally uh, was put on the website to, you know, step-by-step -step instructions on what to do. You know, we have many different things like prayer stations, things simple as prayer stations and as great as, you know, Harvest Fest and all these different different ideas so that the Teen Challenge Centers that don't do much in the community could have some different ideas on what they could do. And that's why we're having a backpack drive, because we want to do something practical to reach out to the community to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Because we can tell them all about the love, and we can tell them that Jesus loves them, and we can tell them that we love them. But if you're not willing to serve somebody's needs or do something for them, then how deep does that love go? Amen. So that's what Project Reach is, a 90-day evangelism and outreach initiative to serve the communities around the country. And that's what we'll be participating in next Friday here at this place, starting at 6, a little bit earlier. Uh, and the actual backpacks will be given at 8. And we will, be, uh, we'll, we will have a bouncy house here for the kids. We'll have games. We'll be having barbecue and hot dogs and giving them out for free to the community and feeding people and just showing the love of Christ uh, to this community. So please come out if you could. If you could help us with, with financial sponsorship, that's wonderful. If you can help out with volunteering, that's wonderful, too. If you just want to help out with your presence here to, lo to love on the community, that's great, too. Um, but thank you for, for really, just really uh, joining and locking arms with us in everything that we have attempted to do, not just this summer, but over the last few years. Genesis chapter 32, I will be, the text I will be uh, staying mostly in, and I thought we were going to get more lights over here. Uh, where's Matt? What happened? Uh, storm? Oh. Oh, I thought they were going to put more lights in here so that I was going to be able to see a little bit better. But thankfully, my iPad is bright, uh, and uh, we should be okay. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's Jesus. Amen. His word does say that the word of the word 
The entrance of the word brings light to those that are, brings understanding to those that are simple. So I am simple, <laughs> and the word will bring light tonight. Amen? Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 30 says this. And he arose that night and took his two wives. Don't get any ideas, guys. His two female servants and his 11 sons. He's talking about Jacob here. And crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? This is the angel of the Lord speaking to Jacob. And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is that you ask me my name? And he, the angel of the Lord, blessed him, Jacob, there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the muscle shrank. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, there, there doesn't need anything to be added or taken away from your word. It's already anointed. And Lord, I would pray that whatever messages that you have hidden in this word, Lord, would be illuminated to our heart today. I pray that any distraction that would come against the preaching of your word, that, Lord, you would take your strong right hand and press up against it, push it out. Lord, I pray that every heart that is here would be prepared for your word as soil is prepared for seed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a powerful portion of scripture here talking about part of the life of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the promised son of Abraham. So whenever you hear in Scripture, often you'll, you'll see people will say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Jacob is an important person in Scripture. He's one of the patriarchs of our faith, as we know that he is... Uh, uh, Abraham was the father of faith, and we know that he received a promise from God that 
that he would have many descendants and that his descendants would be like the sand of the earth. And the Bible also says in the New Testament that we, we are the descendants of Abraham, that we are engrafted through faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, Jacob is the son of Isaac. We can see that in this portion of Scripture, he finds himself in a place wrestling with what it says is the angel of the Lord. And many scholars would say that, that, this, that this angel of the Lord was, was Jesus. And that the angel of the Lord wrestled with Jacob throughout the night. And Jacob would not let go of this angel as they wrestled through the night until he received a blessing from God. How much better off would we be all be if we had that much tenacity and perseverance to wrestle with the Lord until he blessed us? For most of us, we probably find ourselves occasionally in a time of trouble, asking God to deliver us from our trouble, and after we don't get an answer for after about three or four minutes, we moved on to find the next solution or the next plan or the next strategy to be blessed by the Lord. But not Jacob. Jacob was a stubborn man. Jacob, the Bible says that he wrestled the entire night with him. You know, if we look at this portion of Scripture that we would, we would realize if we read through the book of Genesis and the life of Jacob, that this was really Jacob's second, second encounter with God or, or, or second experience that was very significant with the Lord. If we read through the earlier chapters in chapter 28, we can see that Jacob, this happens to be 20 years earlier in a place called Lutz, that Jacob winds up laying his head down on a rock and having a dream where he has a dream that angels were coming up and down a ladder from earth to heaven. This was a very profound moment in Jacob's life, so much so that I would have to believe that it was in this moment that Jacob actually became a believer in God. It was in that moment that that that. that the place that he had laid his head on, that he even changed the name of the place. See, the place was called Lutz, L-U-Z. And I tried to find a definition about what that place meant or what the name meant. And you want to know what I found, Pastor Charles? I didn't find anything. I couldn't find anything that what this name meant. But I do know the name that Jacob, when he renamed that place, what that meant. And he, he named it Bethel which means house of God. So whatever that place was called before or whatever that place meant to the inhabitants or the people were there, after uh, Jacob had had an encounter and a dream with the Lord, it was so significant to him that he thought that it was important to name that place house of God. Many times, if you've walked with the Lord for any time, there'll be significant moments in your life where you will sense that God has spoken to you or God has given you a special revelation. There's, 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 there's times even when I'll be telling a story about where I believe God really imparted a revelation or spoke something to me, and I'll, I'll 
couldn't remember where I was, even in the spot, or maybe where my car was parked when I had those significant moments with God. Or maybe it was an altar call or a time that you were in prayer or a time where you were uh, listening to a particular sermon and God spoke to you significantly. You will often remember the time and the spot. And that's how how I know something in my own life, in my own walk, that it's really uh, from the Lord. Because if it's from me, I'll generally forget it. I'll forget the details. But when God speaks a word into your heart, into your mind, uh, a, a word that, that that transcends all the circumstances you're in, a word that actually will even uh, take you out of an emotional place that you might be in and bring you into another place, you'll often remember that time and that place. Has anybody ever experienced that where you can remember, I remember I was at that place, or I remember I was driving from this. I, I remember significant moments, and I think I even shared one with someone yesterday as I was fellowshipping, when God specifically spoke a word into my heart. I remember I was parked in my van, and I remember where my van was parked, and it, it was such a significant moment that 14 and 15 years later, you can still remember where you were standing when God spoke to you. And that's what kind of moment Jacob had here. He had such a moment that he renamed this place House of God. And as we know from there, Jacob went on a journey and he he winds up taking his family along with him. And this is 20 years later. 20 years later, he lays down one evening, he separates himself one evening. It says that he, he left his family on one side of the river and he went to be alone. That's very important, folks. Because right before he was going to have a moment with God that was going to change his entire life is when he put everything that he cared for and was important to him to the side just for a moment. And he cared enough to cross over the river by himself to get with the Lord. I'm here to tell you that if you want to hear from God and you want to build a relationship with the Lord, you are going to have to find time in your life and discipline your life to find time to get alone with the Lord. I know, you know, we all, I have a wonderful wife and wonderful children and I love my staff here and I love the students and I love my friends, but I'm telling you, none of them are going to save me. None of them are going to be able to rescue me. None of them are going to, 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 to get me to a place that when I stand before God I, uh, by myself in front of him, I'm not going to be able to bring any of those people with me. It's just going to be me by myself. So I better learn to get alone with God. I better learn to set time aside, a place aside where I learn to get alone with God. Because if I want God to speak to me, if I want God to to teach me, if I want God to, to, to give me revelation, sometimes I have to put everything else that's a concern of my life to the side and get alone with God. So we see Jacob, he gets alone with God. And he has another encounter that was significant. 
See, the first encounter that Jacob had was one that would make him a believer. The first encounter. The second encounter would be one that would sanctify him and change his behavior forever. Don't settle for one encounter. Don't settle for one encounter. A lot of people were blessed at Eight Nights of Hope. Many of us received words from the Lord. Many of us had experiences with God that we'll never, ever forget. There were times at this altar where, where God moved in, in supernatural ways. There were people that received physical healings right up here where I'm standing. Physically, their lives will never be the same. There were people that came in with addictions and strongholds that were set free, and their lives will never be the same. There were people that needed direction in particular situations and circumstances, and God met them right here, and they'll never be the same. But I'm telling you, none of them, including myself, could depend on the first encounter or one encounter and say, that is it. I am good to go. It's, it's important that we realize that God wants to be intimately acquainted with us, that he wants to speak to us on a regular basis, that he wants to get our attention more than just one time. It, it's not good enough that when you were nine years old, you went to church once and you said a prayer at the altar and then you've walked away and your life has been absolutely 100% uh, in contradiction to the ways of the Lord and you think that that prayer at nine years old is going to be just enough to carry you through. I'm here to tell you, my friend, God wants more from you. I'm here to tell you that God has more for you. And I, I'm here to tell you God loves you too much to leave you just in that same place. I have learned one thing that I've learned, that you cannot go too deep in God. And you cannot give too much to God. And you cannot surrender too much to God. That there's always more that He wants to do. He always wants to take you deeper. He always wants to take you further. That's why you could be in this Word for 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 years if the Lord will give it to you. And you'll never exhaust it. He'll never get boring. It'll never, it will never be without revelation. It will never be non-applicable. It's not like something that you can read and you can remember and then all of a sudden you have all the head knowledge in the world because I'm here to tell you that this word is alive and this word is powerful and this word still has the power to change a life. So don't settle for the one encounter. We can see that Jacob's in this situation and his circumstance and as we read earlier, he wound up in encountering the angel of the Lord. And he wound up wrestling with the angel of the Lord throughout the night in this place called Peniel. I'm sorry if I pronounce things wrong. I used to laugh at my mother growing up because she could never say anything right. And I'm becoming my mother. I can't pronounce anything. Come on. Have any of you becoming your parents at all? I mean... You're all shaking your head. The young ones are shaking their head. The older ones are like, yeah, yeah, that just happens. Be careful what you laugh at about your parents because you become them. So anyway, so we wrestled. I want to let you know that God wrestles with men and with women for a pur the purpose of blessing them. 
God wrestled with Jacob with a purpose to bless him. And I know that we sometimes when we hear, oh, that God wants to bless us and that God wants to do all these good things for us, sometimes we've been so conditioned to think because of the overuse of prosperity and the over speaking of that God wants to, you know, do great things in your life, and, and he does, but, but we get afraid to believe or to talk about the blessing of God. But I want to let you know that the blessing of God doesn't always look like what the blessing of God sounds like. What am I saying? Well, the most favorite of women in the, in the Bible to ever live was a, a, a woman by the name of Mary. Do you remember Mary? She was the one that gave, gave birth to Jesus. <laughs> she was a virgin. She's to be honored, and the Bible says that God had found favor on her. She was blessed amongst women. But what did her blessing look like? Her blessing looked like a person in exile, a person that was ostracized from her family, a person that was considered shameful to the rest of humanity. Well, not maybe not all of them, but to the unbelievers, even her own people. She had to go run and hide, and Joseph, who was her husband, engaged to her to be to be her wedded husband, had to take her away because, and and, and basically. Uh, go run and hide because it was embarrassing and shameful for a 13 or 14 year old Jewish girl to be pregnant and then to come up and tell everybody that it was the Lord that got her pregnant. When we read the scriptures, it sounds wonderful. When we when we have the nativities around Christmas and we celebrate all these things, everyone believes that you're know, not everyone, but there's a good majority of people b- believe. In, in, in the Christmas story, the real Christmas story. But if God was to come to one of your daughters and your daughter came to you and said, the, the, the Lord has impregnated me supernaturally, you would look at her like she was out of her mind. So when you read the Bible and you read about the favor and the blessing of God on Mary, looking back, you can say, oh, how wonderful that must have been. To be the chosen woman of God that God would use to bring the Savior into the world. But in reality, her blessing did not look very blessing-like. So when God says that he wants to bless you, he means it. But when God says he wants to bless you, it may not look like you think blessing should look. And this is the situation that Jacob finds himself in. God is going to bless Jacob because he wrestled with him. I know there have been many times I've gone before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, bless me. Bless my family. Bless my children. And all I'm thinking in my mind is good things, pleasant things, comfortable things. Wonderful things. How many people know that sometimes the blessing of God, that God sees fit for us, there are moments and times in the middle of that that are not pleasant. And where scripture gets twisted and 
where people come up with their own idea of what Christianity is going to look like or what it looks like to be walking with God. You know, you hear that a lot. Well, why would a loving God do that? Or why would God let that happen? Well, I don't know about you, but if you read the Bible and find out really, as God is described in here, is, I mean, there's some things that happen in here that, that, that are a little bit, you know, shall I say, uh, uncomfortable. There's a lot of struggles that men and women go through in this word that were difficult. And we live such in such a comfort-driven society and world and culture that if something is uncomfortable, it can't be God. Or if something is hard or difficult, it must be attacked from the devil. And I'm going to tell you that even the blessing of God is difficult at times. Even the blessing of God is a struggle at times. Even the favor of God does not look favorable at times. And God leaves us to fight and wrestle with some things. And I just want to look at a couple of things, and we're almost home and we're almost done and we're going to pray on some of the things that we're going to have to wrestle with and fight with today, yesterday, and probably until we go see the Lord. We're going to have to learn to fight with our affections and desires. We're going to have to learn how to fight with our affections and our desires. See, your natural desires, if not under submission to God, can destroy you. Your natural desires, if not in submission to God, can destroy you. Sex, in the right context, is a beautiful thing. It's a natural thing. But not in submission to God, it can destroy you. Ambitions, wonderful thing. God gave us a desire to, to live and to succeed and to grow and to be fruitful and multiply, not just in children, but just to be, to, to be people of multiplication, of building, creating. We're made in the image of God, and he's a creator. But our ambitions can be a blessing. They can be a curse. Power and control. You know, God, in the garden, he gave us dominion over everything. He gave us control over everything. He gave us the ability and the desire to manage things, to supervise things, to orchestrate things. And in the right context, in the right place can be a blessing, but it also can be a curse. Money, position, all of these things could be gifts from God. All of these things could be tools to, to do godly things. All of these things could be positive in our life. But when they're not in the submission, under the submission of God, it could take our life out of control. It could take your life out of control.
And that's the trick and the ploy of the enemy is to take something God that God has said is good. And God is naturally, instinctively placed inside of you and, and pervert it and make it sinful. And pervert it and make it something that is harmful. But you see, your natural desires and your affections under the submission of God can be a blessing. But I'm telling you this today, that there are things that you're going to battle and fight with until you no longer have this flesh wrapped around these bones. See, one of the traps, and I I know that I'm I'm talking from a Teen Challenge perspective right now, and I'm talking, uh, this is a conversation that I've had with many people that have struggled with addiction before. The lie of the enemy is to tell you that God has not delivered you because you still have some desires or ambitions for certain things that are sinful. The lie of the enemy is to tell you that God has not done a work in your life or that has not delivered you because you still have natural desires that may not be good. What am I saying? Addiction and strongholds, whether it be food, money, overworking, drugs, alcohol, gambling, relationship, anything that you can think of, entertainment, binge-watching Netflix, anything... that you desire to do doesn't go away because you have Jesus. What am I saying? Many in this, in this place, in this room, were addicted to substances before. And I know we can look in to say, oh, medicating self and, you know, oh, you know, a wound, and, and all of that is true. But there are some parts of any kind of addiction That you do because at some point you found it pleasurable. At some point you did it because you liked it. And we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, save me and deliver me. And you walk away from an altar and you go home and the donuts are sitting on the counter and you still want to overeat even though you're diabetic. And you say, the Lord has not delivered me because I still want to eat the donuts on the counter. I'm here to tell you that if you want to not eat the donuts, you're going to have to fight the temptation to not eat the donuts. It's not going to go away by itself. The same way That if you take a hit of cocaine or crack or heroin and you begin to do this multiple times in your life, your brain, which is a computer, will always remember that the reward system in your brain was on override when you did the substance. So even though you know in your heart and even in your brain, your conscious, 
that that's bad for me, your brain still remembers that there was a part of you that liked it. And the problem with people, especially in addiction, where they come up and, and I've seen it before. Oh, I'm just an addict and God has not delivered me. What do you mean he hasn't delivered you? Have you gotten high today? No. Have you gotten high yesterday? No. Why not? Because I'm here. Well, then he delivered you. And we think we're going to come to this place where we no longer have to wrestle with these things. And some of you, under the sound of my voice, are wrestling with some things right now. And you're making excuses because you're wrestling with it. And God is saying to you today that I've blessed you in the wrestling. And the very fact that I'm wrestling with you is a sign that I've blessed you. Because people don't wrestle with sin unless God convicts them of the sin. When I was a sinner, I just sinned. When I was a whoremonger, I just went and did what I wanted to do. When I was a liar, I just lied. That's what I did. It wasn't until God began wrestling with me that I started having a problem with those behaviors and temptations in my life. When Jesus came into my heart and I received him through faith, something started happening inside of me. I could no longer be the same person comfortably. Now, if I ignore that voice long enough and I harden my heart long enough, I may find myself again living that way. But the very fact that you're wrestling with some things right now is proof that God has something better for you. And that God is delivering you from whatever you're going through right now. But the problem is, is you're going to have to wrestle with this thing. And stop making excuses because you have to wrestle for your blessing. Even if it takes you all night. How bad do you want your blessing? So you must learn not to give in to what you want now for what you want most. You have to learn to not give in to what you want now for what you want most. Number two, see, we're almost done. You will wrestle with the rights to your future. This is a big one. You will wrestle with the rights to your future. Most people are okay with God being in control 
when they feel like they've lost control. The real test is when you're able to take ownership of your life again and you still leave it to him. Now, some of you may not understand this, but I'm gonna, I think the people in Teen Challenge, especially the staff, will understand this. It's really easy when your life has become unmanageable. It's really easy when you've lost control. People come crawling in the doors or people, you know, you know, uh, you know, the children will come crawling to you when they don't have no money for rent. And it's really easy to submit yourself to something in your life when you really don't have a choice. It doesn't take a lot to walk into the doors of Teen Challenge when you've been homeless eating out of a dumpster for six months. In fact, it blows my mind why not every person out there wouldn't at least during the winter come get a bed and three hot meals and some good Bible teaching by Pastor Paul Burke during the winter months. It blows my mind that people are, are so caught in stronghold, and I've been there, but it still blows my mind. It blows my mind that I was there. Blows my mind that humans will continue to suffer through something because they do not want to give up their rights to their life. And people will come in to the ministry. They'll come to the church. It's the same thing. They come in distraught, right? Broken, a broken heart. We see it all the time. Nowhere to go. And when life starts to get a little bit better and we get our weight up, we want to take control of our lives once again. But see, the real test doesn't start until we get our life back together a little bit. Because it's really easy to give your life to Jesus when your life is, 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 is in shambles, when it's out of control, when you're really left with close to no choice. The real test comes is that when you got things together, when you got a good job, when you got a place to live, when wifey has come back to you, are you still submitting your life to Jesus? You will wrestle with control of your future for the rest of your life. This will be something that you'll wrestle with every, uh, every now and again. The flesh will rise up. Do I really need to submit myself to Jesus? Do I really need to forgive every person that has done me wrong? Do I really still need, you know, I mean, I understood that I needed to go to church two and three times a week when, when I was still early. But do I really need to serve God like that? I got it together. I'm feeling pretty good. I got a couple years under my belt of sobriety. I'm good to go, man. I, I don't need to be around the church folks all, all the time anymore. I mean, back then I did, but I'm good now. I got a job. You know, I don't, I don't need anyone. I'm good. I, I got it going. And we see this over and over. And, and it's not just in Teen Challenge because I've, I've seen it even in the local church since I've been here. I've seen people come in broken and, and, and so open on fire to the Lord. And then they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they're, they're, everything's, everything's fixed now. I'm good to go. I got a job. I got a good job. I'm good to go. I know I was in church three days a week, but I got a job now. 
But you don't work on Sundays, but I got to rest. I got to rest. I don't need to be in church no more. I got to rest. I got to rest. Thank you guys for being there when I, when I really need you, but I'm good to go. And we do that with God. We, I'm, we don't just do that with, with, with church or pro. We do that with God. And the battle is going to be to continue to surrender your rights to the Lord even when things are well. And I challenge you with that tonight. You know, Jeremiah 2911, and 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 I I laugh whenever I hear someone you you know, use this scripture as like a, a life verse or something because you know we all know it for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. And it sounds wonderful. But really what Jeremiah was telling them was, listen, you're going to be in captivity to the Babylonians for 70 years, but then don't worry, I have a plan. That's what he was saying. It's like, listen, listen, Felipe, you're never really going to enjoy this, but don't worry, I have a plan. You're going to have to go through sufferings and some trials, but only for 70 years. Okay? 70 years. So you'll be 100 and You'll be 137 by the time things start to work out good for you. How do you feel about that? You're almost there. You, you look good, though. But what I'm trying to say is, in the context of the Scripture, God is telling them, listen, I do have a plan, but for those of you for the next 70 years, it's not going to be that great. But I do have a plan. And sometimes God is looking at us and he's ministering to us and he's, he's saying, I have you. I got a plan. I'm going to work this out. But what we fail to realize is that sometimes we're in the middle of those 70 years and we have to trust God through the hardships. And we got to trust him to the things that don't feel comfortable. And we got to trust him even though it's not going our way. And I know that if we were all God, we would figure out seven ways to make it better for us, to make it more. But in God's ultimate wisdom, he thinks that suffering sometimes is good for us. So much so that David said, it's good that I was afflicted. It was good because I learned your statutes and I learned your ways and I learned your ordinances and I learned your personality and I learned how you, how you deal and I learned how you because it was in my sufferings that I was broken enough to be open enough to depend on you. And I'm here to tell you, God wants you dependent upon him. Regardless of how good your life gets on the outside or what he blesses you with or what he gives you with, God wants you to stay dependent upon him. And if you can learn to stay dependent on him, even when things get good, even when things get comfortable, you'll be blessed more and more and more. But when you have been called his son, the Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. And if you're going to get well and stray away, guess what? You're going to suffer again. If you're going to get well and then stray away, guess what? He's going to have to discipline you again. If you're going to praise him in the good times and, and then drift off and do your own thing, you're going to find yourself in de uh, dependence upon him again. And you can stay dependent upon him even when things are going well. Because if you don't, there's a good chance that things are not going to be going well. Because God loves you so much. He cares for you so much. He wants to be in relationship with you so much. 
that he'll even watch a little bit of suffering and hardship to get you to the place where you will once again submit your future plans to him. See, God's in it for the long run and, and, and the long game. That's why he was able to put his own son that was perfect in every way on a cross. And that he was able to, the Bible even says, and I've shared this before in the book of Isaiah, it says it actually pleased the father to watch the son crushed. It pleased him. Not because he wanted, he's a masochist, because he knew the fruit of Jesus' suffering would be you and me. And it pleased God. And there are things that God has allowed you to go through. And there are some things that you're going through right now. And you feel like, man, this can't be God. Why is this happening? And I'm here to tell you that sometimes it pleases God for you to be crushed. It pleases him. Why? Because he knows that the greatest fruit that will ever come out of your life will most likely be from crushing. The greatest fruit that will ever come out of your life isn't in the times when things are going wonderful. It's when you're in the valley and you're most dependent upon him. A broken heart can be a beautiful thing. And, and a broken heart isn't just when, you know, Sally leaves Ralph. A broken heart could be for many reasons. Many of us have probably had many broken hearts in our life, but a broken heart can be a very powerful thing if you offer that broken heart to the Lord. If you offer that brokenness to God, God will do so much in brokenness that you could ever imagine. But you have to give up the rights to your future. You have to trust him even when things are not going well. You have to trust him even when life is not comfortable. Number three, and I'm closing. The worship team can come up. Sometimes wrestling with God will leave you what, what, what seems to be handi a handicap to others. Sometimes wrestling with God will leave you with what seems to be a handicap to others. The Bible is, 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 is it's an amazing, amazing, amazing book. And we see in this portion of Scripture that Jacob is wrestling with God to be blessed. He's wrestling with God. And at the end of this, once God gives him his blessing, he also says that, that he gave him a bad hip. And I believe Jacob, after this moment in time, was left with a reminder of that night with, with the physical ailment of a bad hip. And I could imagine that he kind of walked with a limp a little bit. I could imagine that for the rest of his life, he would be walking like this. People would point at him and say, what happened? He would say, this is the blessing of God. This is the blessing of God. It's, what's going on? Oh, it's, it's the blessing of God. And 
people would be looking at him and maybe laughing at him and telling him he lost his mind. Or That's not the blessing of God. That's a curse. That's a terrible situation. You're handicapped. God has left you handicapped. He's left you less than. He's given you a harder life. You can't do what everybody else can do now. You don't look like everybody else now because you're walking with a limp. And I bet you he walked around saying, no, this is the blessing of God. People would look at him and they couldn't understand how could this man say a busted up leg walking with a limp is the blessing of God. And he's walking and they're like, yeah, look at this guy. He's handicapped. He's an old man. He said, no, this is the blessing of God. This is the blessing of God. See, we often look at situations that somebody else would look at and say, man, they have a problem or they have a handicap. And they would say, look at his problem. And it's really your blessing of God. So people will say, oh, look at him. He, he, lost, he lost his girlfriend. But that's the blessing of God because he found a wife. Look at him. He's an addict. He's in a program. He's handicapped. He's got problems. But that's the blessing of God. Because my addiction, my limp, it's my blessing because it got me before God. Oh, he's in a program. He doesn't make a lot of money. But it's the blessing of God. It's the blessing of God. Oh, look at him. All he does is help other people. Look at him. He cares more about other people than he does care about his own life. It's the blessing of God. You call it a handicap. I call it the blessing of God. Oh, look, he gives his money. He gives 10% of his money to the local church. Look at him. He's handicapped. What a fool. Oh, it's the blessing of God. It's the blessing of God. Oh, look at him. None of it. He lost all his friends. He used to go out on Friday nights, and he used to be Mr. Popular, and he, he had the prettiest women with him. Look at him now. Now he's at Cafe Hope. Look at him. He's handicapped. Look at him. It's the blessing of God. It's the blessing of God. Some of you are looking at your present circumstance, and God is saying, I've blessed you, and I've afflicted you. But it's the blessing of God. It's the goodness of God. Some of us in this room wouldn't even be alive right now if God wouldn't have wrestled with you and blessed you. I'm stuck in a program. Oh, look at him. He's handicapped. He's in a program. But I'm as free as I've ever been. I'm as free as I've ever been. It's the blessing of God. What you say is my handicap, is my blessing. You see, because in God's economy, even your pain has a purpose. And your pain wasn't given to you for punishment. Your pain and your struggle was to bring you to a place that you can walk in your blessing of God. 
And you should never look at sufferings ever the same, ever again. Because it's in your sufferings, it's in your weakness that you are strong. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in my flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's the blessing of God. We all have limps here. But you can walk around cursing God for your limp. You can walk around comparing your limp to everyone else. You can walk around saying, well, I can't move as fast as anyone else. I don't have as nice of a strut as somebody else. Or you can look at your limp and you can say, thank you for my affliction. Thank you for my struggle. And regardless of whether I'm in a good season or I'm in a hard season, I'm going to surrender my rights to the Lord. And I'm going to say I may be in the 70 years right now, but I have hope that blessing is in front of me. I have hope that blessing is in front of me. Because guess what? Even if you suffer every last moment of your physical life on earth, if you give your heart and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, none of this really matters. Because that, that hope and that blessing and that reward that so many people chase for on this side of eternity is not here. It's not here. It's there. And even 70 years in the light of eternity is nothing. It's but a vapor. So if I have to walk with a limp for 70 years and get 70 trillion years with the Lord in paradise, well, I'll limp around for seven years. And I'll wrestle with God every day and every night because he promised to bless me. Whether the blessing looks like what I think it should look like or not. Amen. Let us stand.